the splendors and miseries of an old Bailey hack. Some cases of Horace Rumpole, barrister at law, as told to and written down by John Mortimer, with Morris Denham as Rumpole and Margot Boyd as Hilda. Rumpole and the Age of Retirement. It was just after I'd lost my fifth case in succession before Mr Justice Fosper that I began to wonder if it were not time for Rumpole to hang up his battered wig and retire from the bar. Of course, I had nothing to retire on, except my overdraft at the bank and a dribble of uncollected fees. But now my son Nick had gone off to seek a newer world as an academic in America. Nick was always the brains of the family. Living in some ranch-style edifice with a swimming bath in what my daughter-in-law insists on calling the backyard, Hilda and I are more or less alone in the world. Thoughts of retirement must occur to villains also. Old Percy Timpson, doyen of that notable family of South London offenders, might have been forgiven for feeling past it when he was visited by the local bobbies one recent dawn. Here. Hello, was it? Wait, who's them police officers coming up our garden, Noreen? It's the new one, Percy. Hey? That D.I. Broom. Uh, no bloody manners. Old Whitey at least gave you time to finish your breakfast. They're going to the garage. What's in the garage, Percy? Nothing's in the garage. Lead from the Deptford job went last week. Electric blankets? No, girl. Electric blankets ain't due till Saturday. Open up the garage, Percy. Why, are you interested in buying my old banger, Mr Broom? You want us to break it down? Lovely old Cortina. One owner, the vicar of Gravesend, and he only used it for funerals. We know what you've got there, Percy. Yeah. We know exactly what you've got. Nothing, I do assure you, Mr Broom, what's not perfectly legitimate. <laughs> he... Christ. Not in person, Percy, but he looks a pretty good likeness. Come on, down to the nick. Now, look, Percy, I mean, there's no logical explanation, is there? Not for you having a religious artwork in your lock-up garage. Not except for the fact that you were receiving stolen property, well, knowing it to be stolen. I want your autograph, Percy. I want this case barrister-proof. That's my intention. I don't sign things. You know that, Mr Broom. You know, we got your wife, Noreen, Percy. Yeah. We got her downstairs. Yeah. You want Noreen charged, do you? Tell me, how long is it exactly since your old woman's or the inside of Holloway? We want a statement signed in your own words, Percy. Go on, Sergeant Woods. Tell him what his own words are. It little profits that an idle king... By this still hearth among these barren crags, matched with an aged wife, I meet and dole unequal laws unto a savage race that hoard and sleep and feed and know not me. Rumpo! Matched with an aged wife, I meet and dole unequal laws unto a savage race. Come and sit down, Rumpo. Are you tired, dear? What did you say? I said, dear, are you tired? 
That's peculiar. That's what I thought my wife said. Why was she who must be obeyed showing such unusual solicitude? Come and make yourself comfortable, dear. Uh, uh, oh, why don't you put your feet up? Hmm? Have a nice gin and tonic. Hilda, are you feeling quite well? Well, a day in court is so hard for a man of your age. Daddy always said it was such a physical labour standing up in court. Uh, perhaps that's why your daddy always sat down so remarkably quickly. Now, look at the danger to your health, Rompole. Anyway, you don't want to die in harness. You know, poor old daddy died in harness. Really? I thought he died in the Tunbridge General Hospital. What on earth are you doing, Hilda? <laughs> Knitting. Huh? It's for Miss Trant's baby. You're Miss Phillida Trant, that nice girl in your chambers. Ah, oh, Portia. Well, she'll have to give up the bar now. She's got the baby. Yes, birth and death, they silence us all in the end. What are you knitting for it? A dust sheet? <laughs> no, a matinee jacket. Will the baby go to many matinees? Oh, oh, I forgot. Hmm? There's a letter for you. Oh, thank you, Hilda. Uh, for the desk of Professor Julius Kramer, Baltimore University. Nick's University. Yeah. What a coincidence. Mm. Ah, dear Mr. Rumpole, your name has long been known to us as a legal luminary. There you are. Uh, we would wish to invite you and, of course, your good lady to visit us on the campus during the autumn semester and deliver a series of lectures on the alienation factor in the psychological aspects of owner deprivation. What does that mean, Rumpel? Owner deprivation? Presumably nicking oh, things. Dear. Yes? Yes? This is Mrs. Rumpel speaking. Oh! Oh! Nick! Hmm? Oh, my dear! Yes! Yes, we were just talking about you. Yes, he's here. Uh, Rumpole, yes. it's your son. <laughs> oh. uh, uh, hello, Nick. Oh, you sound so near. I can't hear the Atlantic. Yes, I got your letter. Your university... Well... Well, I suppose we might come over. Yes. Well, yes, it is getting a bit tiring slogging around the old Bailey in the London sessions. Plays hell with the back. <laughs> oh, come and live with you and, and give lectures? Well, it, it's certainly something to think about. I was still turning the future, what was left of it, over in my mind when I met Claude Erskine Brown in the corridors of the old Bailey. It seemed he was prosecuting me and old Percy Timpson in the mysterious affair of the old master in the lock-up garage. Before we go into court, Rumpole, hmm? do you mind if I show you this? A photograph? Is it evidence? Of course not. It's our new baby. Oh. <laughs> yeah, it looks even older than I feel. It's an extraordinarily talented baby, Rumpole, for its age. It has an amazingly powerful grip. Oh, well, that'll be for hanging on to its mother's tail as they swing from bow to bow. Oh, really? I just thought I'd show you. Oh, I'm sorry I forgot. The mother's my learned friend. The Porsche of our chambers, Miss Phyllida Trant. I think it has a remarkably intelligent look. I can't get Philly to see it. Oh, it's quite remarkable. Any day now it should be picking up briefs in the Chancery Division. And, um, Rumpole? Hmm? Are all those villainous-looking people your witnesses? 
No, my client, Percy Timpson's family. Oh. Uh, they're the sort to breed from, the Timpsons. Their criminal activities have kept me in work for years. Um, this isn't a fight, is it? Huh? Oh, dear Erskine Brown Claude. Should we say just a little skirmish? <laughs> but the picture was in your garage. And you signed a confession. Well, that means I started with a considerable handicap. Which is probably fair, considering the difference in our form. Oh, dear. I was hoping for a quick plea. You see, I'd rather like to get back home in time for the four o'clock feed. Really? You indulge in high tea, Erskinborough? What? Oh, no, not my four o'clock feed, Rumpole. The babies. Among the prosecution witnesses in R versus Percy Timpson, Erskine Brown called a Mr. Rowland, a man with a bald, skull-like head who was, it seemed, an art expert. I would say that the work is quite priceless. Yes, but if you had to name a figure, Mr. Rowland, as a highly qualified expert on Italian quattrocento painting... How can one put a price on beauty? It has been done in the past, Mr. Rowland, by some quite well-known ladies. Oh, yeah, we were almost abused by his lordship's little joke. Uh, well, shall we say uh, a quarter of a million hmm? pounds, not dollars? Gordon Bennett. Uh, yes, Mr. Rumpole. Uh, my lord. Uh, Mr. Rowland, this painting by Taddeo di... Uh, Taddeo di Bartolo, nicknamed Il Zoppo, mm. the lame one. No, the lame one. Thank you. This Zoppo is extremely well known, is it not? Oh, yes, indeed. So well known that no expert art thief would be able to dispose of it. I would expect him to dump it somewhere and then sell the insurers the secret of its whereabouts. Dump it? Hmm. I gave evidence in a case where a small but priceless Fragonard was left on a municipal rubbish dip. Hmm. The insurers paid a hundred thousand for that information. You say the picture is so well known to experts. I just wondered if his work was instantly recognisable to the crowd who get in the King's Elm on a Saturday night. I should imagine... Probably not. And any drinker in the saloon bar who did recognise Il Zoppo's work and wanted to buy it would have to be provided with a half a million pounds in his hip pocket to complete the transaction? My lord, I really can't see what the relevance of these questions is. The relevance, my lord, is that in his so-called voluntary confession statement, Mr Timpson said he proposed to flog the artwork up the King's Elm next Saturday night. Even judicial knowledge, my lord, must encompass the fact that the King's Elm is not Sotheby's. And even your extensive knowledge of crime, Mr. Rumpole, <coughs> must encompass the possibility that your client himself had no idea of how valuable the painting was. Detective Inspector Broom, can you explain why Percy Timpson should have signed this confession in the absence of his solicitor? I don't know, Mr. Rumpole. People sometimes tell the truth. In the absence of their solicitor. And people sometimes want to protect their wives, don't they, Inspector? I suppose they may. You know, my client has been married to his wife, Noreen, for almost 30 years. Are you putting your client forward as a perfect husband, Mr Rumpole? Uh, no, my lord, merely as a loving husband. Hmm. Did you tell Percy Timpson that you'd got his wife in the station? It's possible. I can't remember. I do have other cases, you know, Mr. Rumpole. I have here the station book. Yeah. There is no record whatsoever of Mrs. Noreen Timpson being taken into this station on that or any other day. Oh, I accept that. Why did you lie to my client, Inspector? I didn't lie to him. 
Why did you tell him that Noreen had been brought into the station to be charged? I expect I said it because I intended to do exactly that. But you never did charge her, did you? Well, there was no need to after... No need to after Percy had signed his statement, is that what you mean? No need to after that, no. After he'd fallen into your trap, the bait could be thrown away. You'd got what you wanted, hadn't you? What did I want? An untrue confession signed in the hope of saving his wife from the welcoming gates of Holloway Prison. Mr. Rumpole. Uh, yes, my lord. Aren't you rather forgetting something? This admirable example of Italian Renaissance art was actually found in your client's garage. Isn't that the point? Yes, members of the jury. We will rise now until 10.30 tomorrow. Oh, yes. Things were not going too well, as you can see, in the case of Percy Timpson. But as I left the Old Bailey, another member of the Timpson clan approached me in what I can only describe as a furtive manner. Mr. Rumpole? Mm, yes? Can I have a word with you, Mr. Rumpole? Mm. The rest of the family's gone home. I'm Var Timpson. Oh, yes, Mrs. Timpson. Uh, well, if, if you care to walk with me to the bus stop. You remember me, don't you, Mr. Rumpole? Uh, well, it's not easy to remember all the Timpsons. Uh, well, I'm Vi, married uh, to Fred Timpson. You remember you got our young one, Jim, out for a spot of trouble. Oh, yes, yes, of course. How is young Jim? Oh, doing very well, Mr. Rumpole. Yes, thank you. He's got his own little window cleaning business now. Oh, dear, I'm sorry to hear it. <laughs> the thing is... I wanted to tell you, I never agreed with what the family done to Uncle Percy. What the family done? Poor old Auntie Noreen. She's up the wall about it. Wasn't all the family, exactly. It was Bertie, really. He was right choked when Percy let all that rubber-back carpet go for 20 quid and... Mm. He thought Uncle Percy was getting past it, you see. Mrs Timpson, why, perhaps you'd better tell me all about it. Plots, you see. And unknown to Rumpole, she who must be obeyed, was discussing another dark plot with Mrs Erskine Brown, née Trant, in my matrimonial home in Gloucester Road. Philida, Rumpole's getting past it. What? Uh, I may call you Philida, mayn't I? Oh, of course. It's so kind of you to give me tea and knit this... Um... Latine jacket. Yes. I chose pink. It is a girl, isn't it? As a matter of fact, it's a boy. Oh, uh, oh well, it, it'll still be warm. Yes, Nick and I have decided that Rumpole must take it easy. What? We're going to get him to retire. Well, how on earth are you going to manage that? Well, we've got him an offer from one of Nick's professors at the University of Baltimore. Rumpole's going to lecture on law. On law? Well, really, Philida, surely he knows about the law. Hardly anything. Oh, he knows all about how to spill water during the prosecution speech and uh, how to get the jury on his side. But as for law... Well, anyway, um, the lectures are only the bait, you see. Hmm? The lure to get him over there. Then I'll put this flat on the market. I, we can live with Nick and Erica. Oh. Well, surely everyone knows it's high time Rumpo made up his mind to retire. So the movement to put Rumpole out to grass grew. And the next day I entertained the Timpson family to breakfast in Luigi's Cafe opposite the Old Bailey. 
I have invited you, members of the clan Timpson, to discuss your Uncle Percy Timpson's defence. Oh, yes, Mr Rumpole. Has this got two lumps, dear? Yes. Well, we rely on you, Mr Rumpole. The Timpson family have always been able to rely on Mr Rumpole. Absolute more. Yes, but can Mr Rumpole rely on the Timpson family? Yeah, mine's a scrambled on fry slice. Right, dear. What do you mean exactly, Mr Rumpole? Well, as you well know, a quarter of a million nicker in artworks from the Italian Quattrocento is quite out of Uncle Percy's league. Therefore, I shall have to put him in the witness box to explain to the jury exactly what his league is. Uh, what do you mean, Mr. Rumpole? I mean he's going to tell the judge he disposed of 4,000 Green Shield stamps for you, Fred. What? And a couple of lorry loads of tights, innumerable canteens of cutlery, and 25 yards of rubber-backed carpet from the local Odeon for you, Bertie. You're joking. As well as the electric blankets and the three freezer loads of stolen scampi for you, Vi. Oh, no. Well... I ain't got no convictions. Oh, that's right, Bertie, you're clean. Thanks to you, Mr Rumpole. Merci beaucoup. Oh, yes, and I understand you've even got a legitimate job now, Bertie. What is it? Oh, I'm, I'm crane driver. On the municipal muck heap. On the municipal muck heap. Now, isn't that a coincidence? What do you mean, Mr Rumpole? Because it was on a municipal muck heap that some far more cultivated villain than any of us dumped the benediction by Tadeo Di Bartolo, nicknamed Il Zoppo, the, the lame one. Now, Uncle Percy hasn't been doing too well as a fence lately, has he? Not too brilliant, no. We've no. got to admit that Percy's getting past it. Getting past it? Oh, I know, letting your hard-won consignments of electric blankets go at half price, gossiping away in pubs when some minor grass is listening. He got out of that gym six months, chattering away like that, Mr Rumpole. Silly old fool, he's a menace to everyone, his uncle Percy. Is that why you decided he ought to be retired? What do you say, Mr Rumpole? Put out to grass, given his cards, rusticated, put on the shelf. You all decided Uncle Percy was past it, didn't you? The whole family, so you wanted him to retire quickly? He couldn't persuade Percy it was time to go, Mr Rumpole. Honest, he wouldn't listen to reason. The man was bloody dangerous carrying on at his age. So Bertie, with his clean record, planted a picture on him and rings up D.I. Broom with the information. <laughs> Hardly a golden handshake, was it? Not even a gold watch from the company. No, the trouble with you is you're none of you Bernard Berenson. We're not what, Mr Rumpole? Bush, you're not even Lord Clark. You never studied civilization. Not even on the telly. You couldn't tell a genuine Fry Angelico from the top of a box of biscuits. And because of your total abysmal ignorance of matters artistic, Uncle Percy's up on a quarter of a million pound handling and halfway to Parker's Isle of White. Oh, yes. What are you going to do about it, Mr Rumpole? Oh, what are you going to do about it? You'd better think a bit quickly. Uncle Percy's going to give his evidence tomorrow. Ah, Erskine Brown. I'm so glad I caught you. I'm rounding up the members of Chambers. Uh, this uh, business of Rumpole's retirement. Uh, apparently your wife knows all about it. Oh, yes. She had tea with Hilda Rumpole. Good Lord. Apparently it's all fixed. Well, we should give dear old Rumpole a good send-off, mm. I think. I, uh, I thought of laying on a dinner at the Sheridan Club. Oh, he'd enjoy that. And I suppose uh, some sort of presentation? Can you think of what Rumpole needs? Well, he needs a new hat. Yes, I suppose he does. Now, the problem is, we can't engrave our signatures on a new hat. No, perhaps we could settle for a clock. 
Oh, I say, Cavey, here he comes. Morning, Featherstone. Morning, Grandpa. Hello, you ready for the battle? <laughs> I think we may have a little surprise for you today. Oh, really? Uh, Horace, hmm? um, are you free by any chance uh, next Thursday evening? Free? <laughs> I don't suppose so. I'll probably be at home with the wife. Oh, well, we want Hilda to come too. Come where? I'm uh, giving a little dinner at my club, the Sheridan. Most of Chambers will be there. Uh, pencil it in now, like oh. a good chap. Ah, uh, what's the matter with our learned head of Chambers? Is he coming to money? A couple of hours later, that doughty advocate, Claude Erskine Brown, was cross-examining Bertie Timpson, who had just given evidence for the defence. Mr Timpson, let me get this clear. You found the picture on the municipal rubbish dump. Where I work, yes. And you put it in your Uncle Percy's garage. Well, I had a key. He lent me his cortina when they went on holiday. And you put it there at night, without telling your uncle what you'd done? Absolutely, Mum. What? Well, I did it quietly, like. I didn't want to wake up the old couple. Why store it in Uncle Percy's garage? I didn't have no accommodation. Not for a thing that size, chez moi. Chez moi? At home. <coughs> Mr Timpson. Can you think of one reason why the members of the jury should believe this extraordinary story? Yeah. You see, members of the jury, I rang the local nick that night, I said there was this picture, like, and if they was interested, they could find it in my Uncle Percy's garage. So they was there next morning with the dawn patrol. Yes, Mr Rumpole? Oh, my Lord. Uh, Mr Timpson, who did you speak to at the local nick? <laughs> Mr Erskine Brown. Yes. I spoke to D.I. Broom. He'll tell you that. Mr. Featherstone says, could you let him have a cheque for £10? You told the detective inspector the picture was in your uncle's garage. Of course I did. But you never told your uncle. He remained in total ignorance. Total ignorance, my lord. Yes. Thank you, Mr. Timpson. Uh, unless your lordship has any further questions. But by now, even Mr. Justice Vosper was silent. And Erskine Brown was busy writing out a cheque... His contribution, I later discovered, to the chamber's present to mark the retirement of Rumpo. A handsome clock to be presented at the forthcoming dinner organised by Guthrie Featherstone QCMP at the Sheridan Club. Marigold's wretched that she's missing tonight, Hilda. She's always been so fond of Rumpo. She regards him as one of those marvellous links with the past, um, like the gaslights in the temple. Oh, really? I can't say I've ever thought of Rumpole as the gaslights in the temple. Ah, well, uh, but Rumpole is a pillar of the criminal bill. Oh, oh, of course he is, Mrs. Rumpole, of course he is. Um, the baby left home, has it, Erskine Brown? Uh, actually, it's in its carry cot the lady downstairs. Ah, one of us will have to leave early, of course, for the ten o'clock feed. One of us? Uh, yes, well... <clears> uh, I thoroughly enjoyed our little scrap. Oh, well, I suppose it's nice for you to go out on a win. Go out? Go out where? Oh, you mean go out for dinner? <coughs> I didn't really enjoy our case very much, Rumpel. I find these days I prefer paperwork at home. Mm. Keeps one with the family. And I love court. Of course, now there'll be such a lot of crime going spare in Chambers. Well, why? Are you expecting a new outbreak of villainy? <laughs> Rumpole remiss the old Bailey, of course, after so many years. I never thought Rumpole looked really happy unless he was going down to the cells at the old Bailey. Perhaps you can find him work as a prison visitor on the other side of the Atlantic. Oh, I'm sure he'll find plenty to do. That's the wonderful thing about retirement. Rumpole can do all the things he never had time for. I've often wondered, what hasn't Rumpole time for? 
Is it time to do the crossword <laughs> and drink a carrot? <laughs> well, he'll have time for reading. He's so fond of poetry. Does Rumpel read poetry? I thought he just said it. Oh, I see. Pheasant, what a gorgeous treat. The last time I remember having pheasant was in old Willoughby Grimes' day. We had a chamber's dinner at Simpson's in the Strand and they dished us up pheasant. The occasion was Tiny Banstead's being appointed recorder of Swindon, which was considered a great honour in those days. Well, poor old Tiny got one of those little pheasant bones stuck in his gullet and they rushed him to hospital. <laughs> Death by suffocation. He never sat as recorder. Quite a disappointment to his wife. Quiet, please. Quiet. Have a little quiet. Just a few words from me. Rumpel has become part of our lives in Chambers. Like a valued piece of antique furniture, which we see every day and only notice perhaps and miss when it's gone. I huh? think that could have been put better. Where's your husband? But I hope, oh, Horace, to go. I sincerely speed. hope that you and Mrs. Rumpel will accept this clock huh? as a token oh, of our affection and respect. <laughs> May it tell many happy hours in the future. Oh, oh. Speech, Rumpel. Yes, Speech. come on, Rumpel. Come on, Rumpel. Oh, no, 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 no. I'm accustomed as I am. Oh, oh, nonsense. Oh, well, uh, if your lordship pleases. Yeah. Uh, she, uh, Hilda, my friends, my old friends, this occasion has cheered me considerably. There have been times lately during the long hours in court and listening to the constant attacks on our profession by the police there have been times i must confess when i wondered if i hadn't been getting in some sort of a rut that's exactly what i've been thinking matched with an aged wife i oh. meet and dole unequal laws <laughs> unto a savage race that hoard and sleep and feed and know not me in such moods i must confess i have been tempted to retire jack it all in to go out to grass very understandable yeah but your support your affection, and above all, this very generous gift mm. has made me change my mind. Rump? Oh. What's that? What did he say? He's talking about the clock, Uncle Tom. Tis not too late to seek a newer world. Push off, and sitting well in order, smite the sounding furrows. For my purpose holds mm. to sail beyond the sunset. A new world? Perhaps he's going after and all. the baths of, of all the western stars until he's I die. going. It may be that the gulfs will wash us down. It may be we shall touch the happy isles and see the great Achilles whom we knew. Though much is taken, much abides. And though we are not now that strength which in old days moved heaven and earth, that which we are, we are. What are we? What we are, apparently. One equal temper of heroic heart. Ah, he still makes a good final speech, old Rumpel. Goes on. <laughs> Made weak by time and fate, but strong in will to strive, to seek, to find, and not to yield. Well, is that it? Well, this handsome timepiece will encourage me, my old friends. To forget all thought of surrender and retirement. Oh. And not to yield in all my future cases at the old Bailey, London Sessions, Luton Crown, 
or even before the Uxbridge magistrates. And I shall never be late. This will always get me to the court on time. If Rumpole's not retiring, does he really mean to hang on to our clock? That was Maurice Denham as Rumpole and Margot Boyd as Hilda in The Age of Retirement. Mr Justice Vosper was played by Robert Harris, Claude Erskine Brown, Brian Carroll, Guthrie Featherston, Michael Spice, George Frobisher, Dennis Hawthorne, Uncle Tom, Patrick Barr, Miss Trant, Amanda Murray, Henry, Hayden Wood, Detective Inspector Broom, Alexander John, Mr Rowland, Godfrey Kenton, Noreen Timpson, Peggy Page, Bertie Timpson, Michael Elphick, Fred Timpson, John Church, Vi Timpson, Josie Kidd, and Percy Timpson, Alfie Bass. The signature tune was arranged by Peter Howell from music from Trial by Jury by Sir Arthur Sullivan. Rumpole and the Age of Retirement was written by John Mortimer and directed by Ian Cottrell.